You're listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you on this sunny and not snowy, well, still snow, but not snowing day. Uh, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. And today, this day, we finally arrive at the conclusion of the book of Acts, which we've been walking through for quite a while. Now, people cheers like, "Woo, we're finally done, or "Woo, I've enjoyed Acts, I'm not sure. <laughs> now, some of you are here maybe for the first time, and you're like, what I miss? Well, yes, you miss the book of Acts. And, and, and it's quite the story. Uh, the book of Acts, just by recap, is the story of the early church, it's the story of what happens in the immediate aftermath of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the book of Acts is a story of what happens when God's presence falls on his people, when lives are radically transformed. And they're transformed uh, so much so that people end up telling the world about this person and this event. The person is Jesus Christ, and the event is his life, death, and resurrection. And the story goes out, and, and the proclamation goes out from Jerusalem to um, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And one of the themes that we kept coming back to as we made our way through the book of Acts is this, is that the transformation that we read about in the book of Acts is still going on today. That you and I are part of this ongoing story of of transformation, and that you and I are called to be witnesses. We're to be called witnesses in, in, in Port Coquitlam, in Coquitlam, in Port Moody, um, and, and faraway places like, like, like Pit Meadows or, 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 or deepest, darkest Maple Ridge. Um, but today, I know we have some guests from Maple Ridge, sorry, I'm saying. Today we arrive at our final chapter in the book of Acts. And so if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Acts, the last chapter, chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. And we're going to begin around verse 14 and uh, read right to the end. In honor of God's word, let's stand together as we read this. Acts chapter 28. Uh, we'll begin in the second part of verse 14. It just basically informs us that uh, Paul and his team arrived in Rome. And so, in verse 14 we read, And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. So Paul is under house arrest. And he's actually chained to a guard 24-7. After three days, he's called to, he, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I, have, I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from, from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there's no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Though I had no charge to bring... Um, against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I, I've asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, well, we've received no letters from Judea about you and none of 
the brothers coming here have reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you and what your views are. For with regards to this sect, meaning Christianity, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God uh, and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he had said, but the others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, quote, Go to this people and say, you will never, or you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed. Lest, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And he lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Jesus, this is your word. You're not a philosophy or a worldview or a set of propositions, but you are personal and you are present with your people. And so we pray that you would give us eyes so we can see and ears so that we can hear and that we would turn to you. We would understand with our hearts and receive healing. And so we commit our lives to you this morning. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So whenever you come to an end of a journey, it's sometimes good to pull out a map, look back, see how far you've come, where you've come from. And so that's what we're going to do just for a moment uh, here with the book of Acts. And so if this is your first week here, well, you're in luck. You get to get a recap of the book of Acts in, uh, in the next few minutes. Ultimately, the book of Acts is a book that bears witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and it lays out the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for history, for our for 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 life and for our lives, and it's one of these things I, I I always say, and I think it's really important for us to get, is that God works in particularities. He knows you, right? He knows you, and so the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ apply to you in the details of your life. God is God doesn't work in generalities. He doesn't love humanity. He loves you, and he's, his love is so infinite, he knows you and loves you in the finiteness of you and your story. You got to get that. He knows you. And so the book of Acts lays this out. And, and the book of Acts also describes the cost of discipleship. Uh, and what we say and what we do, that there's a cost to this. That there will be pushback along the way. Acts is a story where we've met some pretty colorful figures, uh, colorful witnesses to this reality. We encountered a transformed Peter. Uh, if we look back at Peter in the Gospels, I mean, he's afraid. He denies Jesus three times. He doesn't want to be seen to be associated with Jesus. And yet in the book of Acts, he's a different guy. 
He's, he's a leader of the church. Um, he's transformed. We read about a, a willing martyr named Stephen. Uh, some interesting people like uh, Lydia, Cornelius. Um, and most of all, the, the one guy that we, we, we come across the most is who do we come across? Paul. Yeah, Paul is, uh, shows up throughout much of the book of Acts. And Paul's an interesting guy because he went from being the guy who persecuted the early church to being the guy who's bearing witness to the reality of Jesus Christ to the world. And what makes, uh, for me, what makes Paul a remarkable figure is his tenacity. And Jesus, the reality of Jesus has such a hold on his life that he can't help himself but proclaim who Jesus is. He tells people about Jesus despite the hardships that he endures. And if you want to know about his hardships, read the book of Acts. I mean, even in in Acts 28, we didn't read this part, but even prior to the arriving in Rome, just in this chapter, Paul gets shipwrecked and bitten by a poisonous snake. So that's like a little window into the life of Paul. Um, It's a tough life. Um, But Paul's also a guy who literally keeps an open door so he can proclaim the truth of Jesus to anyone. He lives out the life of Jesus. He, he, loves, he loves his neighbor. He loves his enemies. And for Paul, nothing gets in the way of this singular focus that he has to proclaim Jesus. Even the awkward fact that Paul is continuing to tell people about Jesus while chained to a Roman soldier 24-7, which, you know, is a little bit awkward. Through this, Paul suffers well. He does not shirk from his calling. And this brings us to our passage this morning. Here at the end of all things, Paul is under house arrest in Rome. And even in these last few verses, we we get the whole vision of the book of Acts. Uh, Paul's still telling people about Jesus. He tells the Jews, a group of Jews that come to visit him. He's telling Gentiles. We read that among the Jews. Um, Some were convinced. And yet some refused to believe. And I like, I, that resonates because for me, for a long time in my life, I was one of those guys who refused to believe. I was an atheist. I had no interest in God. And so people told me about God, told me about Jesus, but I had no interest in believing until I was convinced. Now, I'm just going to time out for a second because I just want to say some of you guys are here. Some of you are here this morning and you're not convinced You're not convinced on Jesus. You're not convinced on any of this stuff. You're not really convinced on the Bible. And I just want to say, you are so welcome here. You're you're welcome here because you need to come here and and bring all your doubts, all your questions, and just lay them out. And so don't for a moment feel, oh, I don't belong here because I, I don't really believe I'm not there yet. That's okay. It's totally okay. And I hope you ask questions. Because at... Doubt, doubt lies behind faith in so many ways. You have to actually get there through doubt. Like I had lots of questions. And I, I would fire questions at my friend all the time. So if that's where you're at, you need to know that you're totally welcome here. Now I want to bring your attention to the last thing we read in the book of Acts. We read these words. Paul lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all those who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God teaching them about 
the Lord Jesus Christ without, with all boldness and without hindrance. And on one hand, that's a remarkable picture of faithfulness. But on the other hand, is it just me or does this seem like a pretty abrupt ending? Like, I read this, and I remember I was talking to somebody this week, and they said, when they were young, they read the book of Acts, and they got to the end of the book of Acts, it's like, what, is that it? It reminds me of a, a movie Karen and I were watching a couple weeks ago. It's this artsy film that we wouldn't otherwise watch, except John Hawes says it's really good, and we need to watch it, and so they're like, fine, we'll watch it. it. You know, they're all speaking Irish, so it's hard to understand, but apparently John understands, yeah. And, uh, and we watched the movie, and we're like, you know what, this isn't so bad. It's actually a really interesting story. Some interesting characters, and it was kind of moving along. We're like, this is good. And then it ended. And Karen, we were looking at each other, like, is that it? What? What? And so then we, we thought, well, maybe it's like one of those Marvel films. We'll just scroll through the credits, and, and maybe there's one more scene that's going to make sense of everything. But no, there was no final scene. And the thing is, the book of Acts is kind of like that. It kind of leaves us hanging with so many unanswered questions. The obvious question is this. What happened to Paul? Like, what happens? And Luke, who's a master storyteller, he leaves this detail unanswered. I mean, he could have. He could have just added one line. He could have said, you know, he was teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance until the day that he died. The end. Okay, that would have brought some kind of uh, conclusion. But it's unfinished. So why does Luke leave the book of Acts in such an unfinished way? Well, there's a couple ideas. It could be that he wrote, and when he finished writing, the story was unfinished. Paul was still in jail. He's still under house arrest. And waiting for Caesar is is a, a hearing with Caesar. And that's how the book ends. So Paul's still in prison. And so that's where it ends. Could be that. A more likely possibility is that it's during this first imprisonment that Paul experienced in Rome, which was essentially house arrest, chained to a soldier. And it was during this time Paul wrote some significant books that we have in the Bible, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon but that he was eventually acquitted. And that kind of shows up in the passage. He said there wasn't much of a charge against him. So he was acquitted. Maybe the case is thrown out, and that would allow Paul to go and have one final um, relatively brief missionary journey. Uh, But then he would get rearrested because we know that in the first century, around 58 AD, a new emperor comes into power. Who's less sympathetic towards Christianity? And what emperor is that? Anybody know? Nero, yeah. Nero, who, who actually carries out this, this, this very intense persecution of, the, of, of Christians, especially in Rome. And it's during this time it's thought that Paul was rearrested. And he was arrested um, and spent some time in prison in the mid-60s A.D., And it's during this time he most likely wrote um, his pastoral letters to Timothy and to Titus, but was then executed. He was beheaded on the Appian Way outside of Rome. And that makes sense because if you read, actually, this is just kind of interesting, if you read in 2 Timothy, 
which is a letter that he probably wrote the second time in prison, Paul says these words. Listen to this in 2 Timothy 4. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It's the sense of, of, of that his death was impending. Now, historically, I think this makes more sense, but thematically, we're still run into this problem. Why does the book of Acts have such an incomplete ending? Well, I would argue, I would argue that there's a very good reason why the book of Acts ends this way. And I think it's this. I think Luke, he wants the reader, you and me, to remember that the book of Acts was never about Paul. It was not about Peter, it was not about Barnabas, not about Lydia, not about Silas, not about Cornelius, not about any person that we've met along the way. The book of Acts has one hero. In fact, the Bible has one hero. And that's God. And we need to, we need to remember that because if ever anybody gives you a little book you know, and says, you know, you know, heroes, great heroes from the Bible, throw out that book. Because there's only one hero in the Bible, and that's God. And the book of Acts is about the mission of the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so the story of Acts is the story of God's mission to the world. And this brings us back full circle to that overall framework that I laid out at the beginning of the book of Acts in terms of how to understand the Bible. And one of the best ways to understand the Bible is to look at the Bible as an unfinished five-act play. Remember that? You're like, yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> I mean, it, this is really helpful. To look at the Bible as an unfinished five-act play. The first act is God's good creation. God creates the world, creates everything, and it's good. God creates humanity in his image, male and female. He created them. This was very good. There's harmony between humanity and God. There's harmony between humanity and each other. It's all good until act two. Act two is where humanity says, we don't need you, God. We will be the self-determiners of what is good, what is right, what is true, what is beautiful. We don't need you anymore. And there's a rift that takes place between us and God and also us and each other. And this, the, the term that the Bible uses is sin. Sin enters into this world and it creates a whole lot of mess. Which leads to one of the largest parts of the Old Testament, which is the third act, which is the story of Israel. And often people say, why is the Bible so long about Israel, telling about Israel? Well, this is a fundamental part of the story. Because Act 3 says, God, as, as God saying, you know what? There's a problem here, but I'm going to rescue. I'm going to resolve this problem. And I'm going to resolve this problem by creating a people who will represent me, represent God's kingdom, and bring about reconciliation. And so he calls upon this man and this woman, Abraham and Sarah. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through this nation, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And the story of the Old Testament is that story being played out. God creating a nation, great nation, and all the nations of the world are supposed to be blessed. The only problem is, is this doesn't work. It doesn't happen. Because this great nation, Israel, rather than being a light to all the nations, they're saying, hey, this light is ours. 
this is what makes us more special than you, than the surrounding nations. So they saw the light not as a light to be shone to the nations, but as a badge of honor. What's more, as they begin to look around at the other nations, they're like, hey, I like some of your gods. I like some of your practices. And they start adopting them. Anyhow, the whole story gets, is, is this huge mess. And at the end of the Old Testament, this promise, this promised people, they're all now in exile. They've been dragged into exile. And the promise looks to be in jeopardy until you get to Acts 4, which is the climax of the story. And Acts 4 is the story of Jesus. Who he is, his life, his teaching, his cross, his resurrection, is the climax of the story. God sent his son to become incarnate, a human being, to enter into the mess of this world and to rescue us out of our sin and our separation to establish his kingdom here on earth, a kingdom of love and peace and reconciliation. Jesus is the true Israel, and he succeeds where the nation of Israel fails. And he dies a death that we should have died so that we could live. But wonder of wonders, he's raised from, from the dead. He's raised back to life. And this brings us to the last act, which is the story of the church, the fifth act. And it is in the book of Acts where the plan of the Father is being fulfilled. Because of Jesus, the early church receives God's very presence, the Holy Spirit, to carry out the work that we're called to do. And so then you get to Acts chapter 28, and we arrive at this unfinished, dangling ending. And I think for Luke... This is completely intentional. Why? Because he's reminding us something. The story is not finished yet. The story is not finished yet. That you and I are invited to carry out God's story for the world. You and I are invited into something much, much bigger than ourselves. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are invited into carrying out the final part of this story. And Luke knows that. And it's a personal invitation. And we are to live this out in the specifics of our day-to-day -day life. You and I are, are commissioned to finishing out the unfinished story of Acts. Does that make sense? I find that, that five-act, unfinished five-act play so helpful in, in order to understand the Bible. So I think we're left with a few challenges. And I just want to conclude our time by looking at a few challenges that I think come out of this study in our book of Acts. First challenge. We're challenged to have courage. We're challenged to have courage to take up the mantle, to follow in the footsteps of those who went before us and become witnesses to Jesus in our world. Now, it's not going to be easy. You and I will get no shortage of pushback for doing this. Now, I know this. I know you're going to get some pushback. If you're a witness to the reality of Jesus, you will get pushback. And I know that because I was one of those guys who pushed back. I hated Christians. And when I encountered them, I pushed back. And I pushed back hard. Now, again, I'm so thankful that... Uh, a friend of mine persevered and he didn't give up on me. He had every reason to give up on me, but he didn't. And so much, I, I think I told you this before, but um, I still remember being down in the States 
at this church. And this, this friend who, who led me to Jesus, that was his home church. And, and, uh, and an old lady came up to me. She goes, are you David Wood? I'm like, yeah. Oh, I had heard about you. Oh. And I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, you're Canadian, right? I said, yeah. You lived in China? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You are not a very nice guy. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm right here. Um, she goes, oh, we prayed for you. We got letters and we heard all about you. <laughs> I'm like, well, thanks for praying, I guess. But he could have given up on me. But he's sending letters back <laughs> to this. Pray for the David Wood, this unregenerate, horrible Canadian, you know. Oh. But you know what? You and I, we have people in our lives that we need to reach out to, right? You know, though, you, you're picturing their name, your, their faces, right? You and I, we need to persevere. Because here's the reality. Where, where are they going to go? If Jesus has the words of eternal life, and our lives only work insofar as they're connected to Jesus, where else, how else are they going to live? We, our lives will only flourish when they're connected to the author of life, Right? And so we need, to be, we need to be courageous in this one. Secondly, we need to be clear in our witness. Do you know what you believe? Do you know what you believe? I, I often hear people say, you know, because of the reality of Jesus Christ, you know, because Jesus is who he is, nothing else matters, just Jesus. Because Jesus lived and he died and he rose again. Nothing else matters. Our lives are just to be pointed to Jesus. And I, I would disagree. I would disagree. Because of the reality of Jesus Christ, it's not that nothing else matters. Because of the reality of Jesus Christ, everything else matters. The reality of Jesus affects everything. It affects well, it affects how we shop. It affects how, how, we, how we do science. It affects um, how we see ourselves as embodied male and female. It, 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 it affects um, the dignity, how we see the dignity of our humanness in a culture of death. It, it, it affects everything. And so we need to know that. We need to explore how does the reality of Jesus Christ affect my day-to-day -day life? And I'll tell you, some of you guys are in business. Some of you, every day, you're, you're in retail. And I bet on Sunday morning, yeah, Jesus makes sense. Monday morning, it's a little more foggy. Right? Because your whole world's different. Some of you are doing business overseas. Some of you are, are you know, and how do I live my life as a Christian when I'm expected to, to bribe in order to do business? Like, these are real questions. So how does the reality of Jesus affect the other six days of the week? This is important. Do you know how your faith intersects with every aspect of reality? Because if Jesus is the truth, he means he's the truth for everything. So how does our faith intersect with this? This is really important. And part of our job as a church is to equip you to think Christianly about all of reality. And this is not going to be easy. I was talking to a couple guys.
guys this week. We're talking about business. You guys are both business guys. And we're just saying, you know what? Some of the challenges in business um, and being a Christian are, are real. And so we're going to try to organize a, um, a group that meets together regularly of, of business women, business men, to do these things. This is really important. Thirdly, we are challenged to create space for people to ask serious questions about faith. Yes, that's what we have to do. I know. But you need to know we're committed to this. <laughs> That was perfect, perfect. No, see, so many people have questions. Think of your friends. They have good questions. How could a good God who's loving, you know, allow suffering in this world? You know, how, how, can, how can the love of God and the earthquake in Turkey somehow make sense, right? Like, these are important questions. And so our challenge as a church is to create space for you to ask questions and to explore these things. That's why every week, and it's been so cool, we have about a, close to 100 people coming out to Alpha to ask questions. Uh, yeah, it's really good. Um, maybe I should mention a class that I have coming up. <laughs> I, I know I seldom do this, but uh, not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday, I have another class coming up, and we're going to be exploring the meaning of the cross. Because as Christians, we say Jesus died for our sins, he died on the cross. But the question your friends are going to ask, how does an event that took place 2,000 years ago have any effect on how I'm living my life in Coquitlam in 2023, honestly? Well, that's a good question. So this is what we're going to be exploring, okay? The last thing is this, is we, we're challenged to make mission a priority for the sake of the world. And you need to hear this, because some of you are feeling discouraged, and I hear people saying to me all the time, David, oh, come on. You're still going on about Jesus. You're still talking about the church. Don't you realize that the churches are being emptied? Don't you realize that nobody goes to church? Nobody believes this stuff anymore. This is a, this is a, a hangover from a bygone age. Why don't you live in the now and just give up in this whole idea of Christianity? That's, that's so <laughs> two generations ago. Now, I want to encourage you, though. And I want to encourage you. I was talking to a friend uh, this past week. Um, and he says, there's so many things you and I need to be encouraged about these days. And it is easy as, as a follower of Jesus to get discouraged and, to, and like Elijah to think that, oh, we're the last, last believer on earth. Let me lay out a couple truths that hopefully will encourage you this morning. Do you know that the witness of Jesus Christ is exploding around the world? You know that, right? Every corner of the globe. Uh, I mean, the story of Africa alone in the 20th century is one of the most remarkable transformations in human history, where you go from 10 million Christians in 1910 to 360 million Christians at the end of the century. That, yes, yeah. You know, people talk about the 20th century as being, you know, the century of communism or, or rise of Islam. Not at all. Not at all. It is about the growth, the explosion of Christianity around the world. You need to be aware of this, right? I was reading that in Uganda, though. In Uganda, there are more Anglicans in Uganda than Europe and North America combined. Right? Just to give you an idea. 
Um, the country, the, the largest Christian nation. I'm being a little cheeky, but it's maybe not a Christian nation. But the largest number of Christians in a nation? What, what country? China, yeah. Yeah, I had a friend of mine. He was a professor, and he was in China. And he's speaking to all people from the, um, who are all uh, Gambu. They're all Communist Party members. And he says, oh, he goes, it's so good to be in the largest Christian nation in the world. And they're all communist men. They're like, oh, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, the largest. It's about 100 million Christians in China. South America's exploding. I read that by 2050, there'll be about 3 billion Christians in the world of whom only about one-fifth will be non-Hispanic white. I mean, the, 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 the world, the global south is a Christian south. It's a Christian world, actually. So what does this mean? What are some implications? I was thinking about this. Some implications is going to change how we look at denominations. Things that used to divide us in denominations. Are you a Baptist? What kind of Baptist? You know, you know people always get divided. But that's not the case anymore. If you go to many places, if you go to Nigeria and you say, are you evangelical, Catholic, or charismatic? They'll say, yes. <laughs> I am. Because those things that used to divide don't mean a whole lot anymore. And, and one of the other implications of this is one of the priorities in the world is the re-evangelization of the West. Because the fastest growing churches around the world, or the fastest growing churches in Canada, are churches uh, of new Canadians. Right? I remember hearing this one pastor, he's a Nigerian pastor, he, said, uh, he says, you want to know what the legacy of communism is? In Eastern Europe, I'll tell you what the legacy of communism in Eastern Europe is. is only the communists could build stadiums big enough to hold our churches. Yeah. And the face of Christianity has changed. And the ones who are needing to be evangelized are guys like me. My demographic. And I, I know of churches. I know of Nigerian churches in England right now that are working on methods to make the gospel message intelligible to whites, to white people. You know what the largest missionary sending nation is per capita? What country? Yeah, South Korea. South Korea. Um, and... They send more missionaries per capita than any other uh, nation in the world. And these missionaries are extremely effective in reaching First Nations groups in Canada. So I want you to be encouraged. This unfinished fifth act is being written around the world. And I think these are really exciting and challenging times for you and I to be followers of Jesus Christ. So be encouraged. I, I often hear people say to me, oh, but David, don't you know the church is just one generation away from extinction? I say, well, maybe, maybe, maybe. But it's also one generation away from revival, right? One generation away from revival. And just because things are the way they are in Canada right now doesn't mean that things won't change. And so we pray for revival, but we do so remembering what uh, another great missionary, Billy Graham, once said. That revival, he drew a circle around himself. He says, revival begins here. In our prayer, we pray to God, Lord, will you not revive us again? And so we begin at home with those closest to us. And I love the fact that uh, Paul, in one of his letters, he says, um, uh, 
Caesar's household sends their greetings. And like, Caesar's household? Well, Paul's been chained to so many soldiers under house arrest, and he keeps leading them to Christ. That is affecting, it's affecting Caesar's household. And so who is it within your circle that you need to lean into? Be encouraged. You and I are part of a story that began long, we came, long before we came on the scene and will carry on long after we leave the scene. But you and I are to live our lives with the end in sight. Jesus will be coming back. And so we live in the meantime between two advents, Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. And remember that you and I are commissioned to live out Acts 29. Right? We are called to live out Acts 29, the fifth act in God's unfolding story for the world. And here's the thing. We're, we're doing this. It's our desire to do this in our church. And uh, I think what better way to conclude our service by pointing out how a group of young people are going to be heading to the Philippines very soon. They're all gathered in the foyer chatting right now. Jim, yeah, now's your time. Yeah, come on in. <laughs> I'm going to invite up uh, Pastor Marty. She's going to talk about this. Yes, the whole missions team. You guys were so honored in the first service. Yeah, what happened? Come on up. Let's, let's give them a round of applause. Yeah, that's good. So we're thrilled with this timing that as we talk about Acts 29, we have a team going out from our church. Our next generation is heading out on mission. So we have nine teens and four adults, and they're leaving March 10th to work with our partners in the Philippines, Gentle Hands and Metro World Child. The first part of their trip, they'll be working in an orphanage with 100 kids. They'll be teaching about the Bible, spending time with the kids, doing things like uh, sports and dance, and then encouraging the staff. The second part, they'll be working with Metro World Child um, and participating in street ministry to kids who are experiencing extreme poverty, even sleeping in dumpsters and sewers. And so this is a really uh, challenging mission, and so I want you to be in prayer for this team. I also want to thank all of those of you who've contributed financially and also donations of clothes. So if you would stand with me to pray for them, and if you're comfortable, you can reach out your hand as we pray. So let's pray. So God, we thank you for this team and we want to pray for them. We pray for unity. We pray for joy. We pray for safety and energy. Enable them to humbly serve and to see the needs around them. Encourage them and those they meet. Grow them in their faith and give them to be a passion to be on mission, even when they return home. Use them for your glory. And with the words of Paul, in the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians I want to pray this blessing on you. May God, our Father himself, and our Master Jesus clear the road to you. And may the Master pour on the love so it fills your lives and splashes over on everyone around you, just as it does from us to you. May you be, you be infused with the strength and purity and filled with the confidence in the presence of God, our Father, when our master Jesus arrives with all his followers. Amen. Amen. 
Great. So give it up for them. And, and join with us as we worship in our final song. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.